You're listening to the Hutchins Old Boys podcast with me, an old boy, Ollie Gill. Over this series, we'll highlight the weird and the wonderful and some of the great stories from fellow Hutchins Old Boys that you might not be across. Enjoy. Yes, welcome back to another episode of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. I'm pumped up for this one because I'm going to be joined by Tom Gibson, who's represented Australia at not one but two Olympic Games and countless world championships. Welcome to the Hutchins Old Boys podcast, Tom. Oh, thanks for having me, Ollie. I, yeah, I'm not sure if my voice is, uh, quite has a radio voice like yours, but I'll... Um... I'll do the best I can. Well, look, okay, you're in a suit, I'm in a jumper, so how about that? We'll tra- we'll trade. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. Now, mate, I'm absolutely pumped for this one. Uh, lots to talk about, but firstly, let's just uh, wind back the clock and set the scene. Um, when you were in school, paint me a word picture. What were you looking like? What, how were you dressing? Were you enjoying school? Were you not enjoying school? What was going on? Oh, look, um, I mean, I dressed like everyone else at school in exactly the same uniform, I suppose, sure. so... In that in that way, I wasn't too wild. But look, um, oh, look, I, I was probably, um, I mean, I, I I loved the later years of school. School wasn't really something I, I I loved early on, but um, definitely towards the later years at Hutchins, I really um got hold of it and really really thrived and enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. Now I I'm gonna be honest. I fear you a little bit, and the reason is because anyone who is happy to get into the water at five a.m. in the middle of winter in Tasmania, <laughs> I I don't trust them. Uh, what was that like? because I could never get myself in the head of a rower. Really couldn't. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, for me, I mean, I didn't row when I was young at school. Um, it was something that me and a couple of mates took up fairly late. So we started in grade 10 or 11. I think it might have been, t- yeah, late 10 or 11. Uh, and for us, we were just a little bit sick of hearing all the rowers whinge about how tough they were and out there in the cold water every morning. And we just decided that, yeah, we'd had enough and it was time to get out there and see if it was really that hard. So, yeah, for me, I don't know. I, I sw- used to swim early in the morning, so for me, the early mornings weren't such a thing, but I, I just loved it. Loved being out there. And was it hard? Well, which part? <laughs> <laughs> good, good point. Good point. No, look, I, do, I take my hat off to the rowers. They're incredibly dedicated people, and uh, obviously, particularly at Hutchins as well. It's quite clear how well supported it is. You know, we've got a rowing shed up the top end of of uh, the school. Um, yeah, again, I was never involved, but was was you know had lots of mates that always were going up and back from Barrington. And did you did you feel that it was well supported in the sense that there was a clear pathway? To, to what could happen outside of school? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I was pretty lucky. I, I came through, when I came through rowing, um, it, it was really strong in Tasmania um, and it was really strong in lightweight rowing, which is what what I represented. Um, we had some really good lightweight rowers. You know, um, a guy called Steve Hawkins won gold medal in 1992 and while he didn't win in a lightweight category, he was technically a lightweight guy and guys like Simon Burgess and um, Darren Barmforth who um, won medals at Sydney Olympics and stuff like that. So I kind of came into a a rowing culture that was kind of well underway. So in that way, I was very lucky um, because it it was well underway. I mean, our school really supports rowing and I mean it really supports a lot of great activities and, and I think a little bit like when you're at school it doesn't really matter what you're doing it's just the fact that you're doing something that you're putting your attention into and I think that's that's what's important I mean not everyone continued to row but they would have learnt things from what they were doing that kind of took them to other parts of their lives you know and that that probably is the case for whatever you're doing whether it's sport music drama whatever it is you know yeah absolutely no you're right it's a real theme that you can get a sense of at Hutchins which is fantastic so I guess on that what what is the part 
pathway? You, you finish school, do you go straight into rowing or was it a, do you pick it back up or what's the actual pathway? Oh yeah, for me, I mean, some of the guys that had, had been rowing all through school were probably in a way ready for a bit of a break from it. Whereas, whereas for me, I hadn't been doing it for that long and I was still really immersed in it. So I just kind of launched myself straight into it after school. And that, that's just kind of the direction I went. For me, that was just you know, joining a local club and uh, racing on weekends at, you know, Frank, Lake uh, Franklin or, or, or Lake Barrington and, and just taking it from there, really. Um, there was quite a good kind of pathway into the Tasmanian Institute of Sport at that, that stage. So once you start getting a few results, people start tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, do you want to take this a bit more seriously. So yeah, I was lucky. There was a pretty clear direction, you know, doesn't always happen like that. There's not, you know, some sports struggle with that kind of clear pathway. But for me at that time, it was, it was pretty good. Now I know how special it felt representing Hutchins for uh, soccer in the twos and also uh, in the dance of Stedford. It was a pretty special moment pulling on the magenta, but what's it like when you get the call up to represent the country in the Olympics? What's that feeling like? Oh, look, yeah, look, it, it is a really kind of special moment, especially, I mean, our club, you know, as an Olympic sport and as a kind of predominantly kind of amateur Olympic sport, you really are in that kind of four-year cycle where you're competing in world championships on every other year and then once every four years you're um, uh, into that Olympic cycle. So there's a lot of pressure on that year, you know, you, you want to kind of make sure that that four years of work is worthwhile. So there is a lot of pressure and it is a big relief when, when things come off. And look, it, it is a... It, it is a really, really special thing to be a part of. The the kind of Olympic movement is really, really strong. And, um, you know, I, I felt deeply for those athletes that would have been in a similar position to me this year when the when the Games got delayed and called off it would have been pretty tough, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is a that is a heartbreaking thing, especially if you feel like you were, were coming to the end of your stretch of your career and you thought, well, I reckon I could hold on for another, you know, yeah. few months to just, just sneak it in and then uh, – it might not be might not be the case. Um, I've got to ask you. Uh, it's the obvious question. Um, I'm sure you get asked a lot. Uh, the Olympic Village. Talk to me. <laughs> oh, For a young boy from Tasmania, it yeah, must have been pretty exciting. Look, it is. Yeah, it's it's a real. I'm not sure if all the rumours are true, but um, it, it it is a pretty special place. It's just the, the vibe is, is is really special. You know, just the the different kind of athletes you see wandering around the place, and and you know, hordes of people kind of trying to get around. You know, some of the athletes is 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 pretty. Pretty, uh, pretty incredible, and look, it, it's just a there's just a lot of good energy, you know, and it's just a great place to be. For us, we didn't rowing was kind of located outside of the the cities. In um, we obviously I, I completed in Beijing and then London, um, so the the actual rowing village was kind of located out of the city. Um, so we got to kind of come back after our events were finished and enjoy the greater village after that. So it was good for us because by the time we came back, all our, our job was done and we were just there to have a good time. So it was kind of perfect for us. Yeah. Brilliant. How good does that sound? Now, when you were at the London Olympics, whereabouts did you actually row? Was it on the Thames or where, where did you No, where no, you that's um, out at Eton. So Eaton College yeah. has, essentially has their own rowing course, which is not bad for school. So they, they have their own rowing rowing course and that's where, where everything was held out there. So it was an interesting point you brought up about uh, when you go through that four-year cycle. Is it difficult to to almost stay on and ready. You know, if you compare it to an athlete, if you compare it to a footy player who's got, you know, a a 22-week season plus finals every year and then you've got a period of, you know, where you can relax and then you go back into pre-season. Is it difficult to both mentally and physically stay ready to go? I mean, you touched on that you do have those world championships in between, but is that is that a, a 
a bit of a hurdle that you need to get over? Oh, look, uh, not so much. I mean, the, the year kind of structures in a very similar way every year, much like a footy season would, I suppose. Um, it's just obviously on the non-Olympic years, it's a World Championships event uh, instead. Um, so, and that is a big goal, obviously. It's still a special thing to be part of. It just ha- so happens that every four years, it's kind of a you know a more loftier goal as well. And plus the amount of um, the amount of athletes that go to the Olympics are again reduced again from the normal World Championships. So you, you've got to kind of be performing well to to warrant going to the event as well. So there's all these kind of different pressures as well on top of a lot of the the majority of the Olympic qualifications takes place at the World Championships the year before. Um, so obviously that's a real target event. You've got to make sure you're in the top you know, X amount of boats uh, the year before in order to qualify the boat. Um, And then in the year of the Olympics, you need to make sure that you're one of the athletes that the, you know, the the federation wants to take to represent the country. So yeah, there's a few hurdles to jump off, uh, jump over, but yeah, no, it's pretty, pretty easy to stay motivated when that's what you want. Yeah. So since, since sort of this period, you've now traded or you've crossed the border and now you've, um, you've, you've seen the other side as a coach. What, what was that transition like for you? Did you become the coach that you thought that you would? Oh, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> I'm not sure. But look, look, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I did some coaching in Melbourne uh, at a um, private girls' school over there for a number of years, and that, that was that was an, a really uh, amazing experience, and we had some good success with the girls over there, which was good. And then when I came back to Hobart, um, did a couple of years with the with the Hutchins boys here, and, and, and look, that that was great. It was, um, it, was, it was a weird experience kind of re-engaging with a school like that, you know, uh, yeah. and seeing the teachers that were kind of still here when I was here and all that sort of, you know. It was, it was kind of weird walking back into the place, but look, it was... Was great, you know, and um, and and not a whole lot has changed, you know. There's just still that same kind of you know camaraderie and desire to kind of do well as a group, and it was good. Yeah, really. Has, good. There, has there been any changes specifically with the the rowing department of the school? since you've come back? Oh, not, not in a great degree. I mean, I think, um, there, it is probably better supported. There's a, there's, there's a couple of, or at least one full-time staff member or part-time staff member who essentially looks after the operations of the rowing club, which is good. And there's, there's no doubt that the, um, level of support from the school and, 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 and all those, um, organizations is, is really strong. There's a, I mean, the, the, there's no complaints in terms of what sort of equipment the boys are using and, and, and stuff there. There's no excuses in terms of not having the right equipment. There's, it's definitely well supported. And, and at the end of the day, it's a pretty simple, it doesn't need to be complicated, you know, as long as the kids no. have got the right gear and they're, they're willing to have a bit of a crack, then that's kind of all you, all you really need. It doesn't need to be an AIS program or anything like that. Now, the real burning question as a coach of uh, Hutchins Rowing, though, is do you still give uh, the rowers a note saying they can wear their PE uniform uh, <laughs> into class? Because I tell you what, as a non-rower, that almost got us. We all thought, oh, geez, that'd be all right. Yeah, almost worth it. Yeah, I'm not sure about the internal politics of what was going on there. I was, I, was, I just left them at the, left them off the water and let them deal with that. But I don't know, probably. when we, The biggest thing we were trying to implement when we came in was to try and get rid of the um, Ugg boots and um, black hoodie kind of uniform that used to exist around the place. We just didn't think that was... Uh, Catmandu puffer? Yeah, Catmandu puffers and black hoodies and, and um, yeah, but the Ugg boots. I couldn't get over the Ugg boots. At, really? Uh, you know, Didn't. Nice. Nice. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. fair enough. Cold, but I, I, I'm with you. If I, you know, I'm based in London at the moment. Not There's when you're representing people. the school. You can't wear yeah. the Ugg boots. No, right. Unless you've got magenta ones, which I'm sure, you know, if, if, if the school wants to look at that, that'd be brilliant. Uh, now, I've got a few more questions that we'll get to about the school and about your experience and also uh, exciting about your son as well, uh, who's started at the school. But uh, I've heard a rumour and I need to – to get to the bottom of this. I've heard a rumour surrounding a Bratwurst company called The Dog Father. (laughs) 
<laughs> Can you give me the inside, uh, the, the tip on the dog father? What, what is it? Right. What happened? Well, the dog father, yeah. Well, um, well, be, being a kind of a an amateur athlete, money is sometimes hard to come by. For us, it was pretty tough. We, we, we did get some funding, but the funding was pretty minimal. But then the results of the training was that you couldn't really hold down a proper full-time job. So um, when I met my uh, wife-to-be, Michelle, we um, brainstormed a bit of an idea. It was, it was mainly associated with trying to get um, free tickets to Falls. Sure. So um, sure. the Falls Festival. So um, it started as a as a coffee van, the dog father initially. Uh, the coffee van was called the Brew Crew. Um, yes. And so we kind of lodged a bogus application to the um, Falls um, storeholder application saying that we're, you know, previous cafe operators and really keen to get down to Falls Vessel and operate a coffee van. You know, we need 16 tickets for our staff, et cetera, et cetera, sure. you know. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. and as it happened, we got accepted. So that was kind of how the, you know, that, that kind of um, career path started and it certainly evolved to the dog father, which was the, the sausage stall. But, yeah, it was And so what, what was the evolution of the dog father? Where, where's it at now? Is oh, it still- it's been retired, the dog father, oh. yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a festival-only event uh, or a festival-only um, store and um, yep. yeah, it, it's been fully retired now. <laughs> well, it, never say never because who knows, one day you could be in the Olympic Village serving up uh, yeah. you know, people that finish their event, giving them one of the great bratwursts. Yeah, so, right. Well, we've actually never. got we've got a couple of IVF kids that were pretty much paid for by the dog father. So there, there we you go. go. <laughs> Too easy. <laughs> That's uh, that's a true romantic romantic yeah, story is, right there. Absolutely love it. So speaking of your son Winston, uh, now starting at the school, was that a full circle moment for you? Yeah, yeah. Like it, it is a bit confronting to be honest. Uh, yeah, look, it is it is a full circle moment. Twenty years, my yeah, twenty years meant to be this Saturday is the um, Hutchins reunion for me. I can't actually make it, which is a bit disappointing. But yeah, so twenty years, you know, and and I have a kid back at the school, which is pretty. It is a really strange feeling. It's it is really weird. You don't think that you've aged. That that much, but as it turns out, you kind of have. Um, yeah. But look, it's really special. Um, I, I didn't go to Hutchins as a as a small boy, but um, it you, you just really get a sense of um, you know how special the place is and how lucky you were to have been a part of it. I think when you kind of immerse a little, um, essentially a little kid back into that system, you know, um, you, you just really feel like they're there to be you know looked after and nurtured. And yeah, it's a, it's a very very special place. I don't think you kind of realised. You kind of got a. I think you did kind of get a, a feel for it. As you were leaving school, that you'd been a part of something that was pretty special, but um, you kind of feel it again when you kind of throw your kid back back in the mix. Yeah. Uh, how old's your boy? Is he, he's he's so, quite young. Yeah, so he's only young. So he's gone into prep. So he's only yep. six. Yeah. So do you get the sense? Of, and again, yeah, that was six years old. Jeez, um, he's got a lot to experience at Hutchins. But do you get the sense he's the sort of young lad that will be excited by all the opportunities, or will he will he go into rowing? Do you think? Has he expressed an early interest? Oh, I don't know. About, I'm not sure. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure, but look, yeah, look, he's a pretty excitable little kid. So anything that we can get to kind of expend some energy is probably a good thing. But um, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying not to say the R word at home too early. And yeah, yep. I think the more you say the word rowing, the more likely it is that he'll kind of tap you on the shoulder when it's time. But exactly. yeah, look, we'll see. We'll see. Now, uh, during this, uh, around about this time in every episode, I like to uh, talk about a quote that I heard when I was at school that's really stuck with me. And that was from um, uh, Miss Malarski who said the the job that you're going to do doesn't exist yet. And that was something that really has stuck with me. 
Is that something you, do you sort of feel that or, or were you always set on the one thing or is it, have you embraced that feeling with the dog father or with some of the, the other <laughs> small businesses that you've been involved with? Yeah. Have you sort of, you know, been open to the idea that, that things can change and chop all the time? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think when I came through school, and, and you know, and in many ways, I'm not sure if this is done as well as it should be, but it was very much of the kind of you know um, lawyer, accountant, doctor kind of kind of um, yep. model. I think when you went to the careers day, there really wasn't any mention of you know entrepreneurial type um, you know uh, avenues. Um, I mean, I think for me, I was almost forced into those avenues. I mean, I, I think I could have quite easily have become a more of a kind of traditional kind of career type, but I think due to the rowing, I was kind of forced into ways of kind of making a bit of money on the side while training and doing all those sort of things. And that's kind of where our property stuff started. And obviously, you know, the dog father and all these kind of things that kind of popped up. So yeah, in many ways it is true. I mean, part of our business now is um, um, Airbnb management. So obviously, you know, um, career paths like that would definitely not have existed, you know, when I left school, anything like Airbnb or, um, you know, short-term, you know, booking platforms and stuff like that were most definitely not on the horizon. So in that regards, yes, you know, part of what I do now would, would not have existed when, when I left school for sure. Yeah. So what's next for you, do you think? What's what's next uh, if we uh, have to have the same conversation in five years' time? <laughs> look, yeah, look, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, at the moment, we're really just concentrating on building our business up, working really hard on that, and that, that's been going really well. Um, COVID's obviously hit the Airbnb side of things pretty hard, um, but, but you know, we're pretty optimistic about the, the fact that things will turn around uh, um, next year and, and beyond, so that's all good. Um, look, I don't know. Like, it's, it, it's hard. I think when kids come along, life gets, yeah, pretty full, you know, so at the end of the day, it's just taking things, you know, a month or two at a time and uh, making sure that you're trying to enjoy the kids when they're little, even though you have the pressures of kind of work and, and, and all those sort of things. I don't have too many lofty kind of goals for the next five years, but um, yeah, who knows? We're pretty restless uh, or I am pretty restless. So, you know, when things um, lose their appeal or excitement, then I'm pretty happy just to kind of shelve it and move on to something new. So... Yeah. Any plans to get back in the water? Oh, no, no. I think my days are, are done. I, I, I like to keep fit. I still I still do a lot of stuff, a lot of running and swimming and riding and, and that sort of thing. But um, I think in terms of rowing, I think the body's had enough of that now. Yeah. Well, Tom, you've had a fantastic career. Congratulations on all you've achieved and being able to represent not just the magenta and black, but of course also your country. It's fascinating. It's great to hear. And I hope uh, not just the rowers that, that tune into this, but anyone in any field can really take a lot out of it. So I appreciate your time here on the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. Yeah, thanks, Ollie. And thanks to you for what you're doing here too. I think it's a great way of kind of building that kind of culture within the school. So congrats. Well done. Thanks, mate. Cheers. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Hutchins Old Boys podcast. Remember to keep your eye out on all your favourite podcatchers for the very next episode.